Welcome to the Inspiration Accelerator, hosted by Michael Sonberg, founder and CEO of Rebel Culture and Skyrocket Education. Each week, we'll talk to a different, inspiring person in the world of leadership, personal development, career, family, fitness, and beyond. Buckle up for the Inspiration Accelerator. All right, welcome everybody to a brand new episode of the Inspiration Accelerator. I'm Michael Sonberg here once again with an incredible human. This woman is like an incredible human. I feel like I'm talking to actually a superhuman today. Her name is Rebecca Rush, and uh, I could spend probably the next 45 minutes listing her accolades, but I know you all actually want to hear from Rebecca. So let me talk a little bit about who Rebecca is. She's an endurance athlete rock climber. Um, she's a mountain biker. Um, she's an adventure racer. She's a seven-time world champ in multiple sports. Uh, she's an author. She's a motivational speaker. She's an Emmy winner, our first Emmy winner on the uh, Inspiration Accelerator for a movie called Blood Road, which we were going to talk about, but you all need to see this movie immediately. Uh, she's also the founder of a nonprofit called the Be Good Foundation, which we're going to get into. And to be honest, of all of her accolades, that one stood out to me uh, because of just how much, uh, for listeners of the show, you know how much we, I believe in service and we believe in service. And so uh, it's a huge, uh, a huge, a huge topic that we're going to talk about today. I have to, I'm doing something I've never done before. I'm actually going to read just a list of some of the amazing things uh, that Rebecca has accomplished or been uh, kind of um, awarded with just randomly here. Uh, Adventure Sports Magazine 2004 nicknamed her the Queen of Pain. 2015, she was number 19 of the 50 world's best, best athletes. Outside Magazine in 2017 called her the top 40 women who made the biggest impact. Men's Journal, she's one of the 25 most adventurous women in the past 25 years, she was elected to the um, inaugural class of the gravel, uh, gravel Cycling Hall of Fame in 2022. She has her own gravel mountain bike race called Rebecca's Private Idaho that she runs every year on, on, on Labor Day weekend. She's competed in and won uh, I, the Iditarod in Alaska multiple times. She's done it self-supported. She's uh, one led the led the 100, 24 hours of Moab, uh, of Moab, and on and on. Folks who know the endurance world, you will know these races um, like the back of your hand, even if you haven't competed in them. I could go on and on, but welcome, Rebecca Rush, to the Inspiration Accelerator. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, I'm stoked to be here. And I'm also stoked to learn uh, that you are an endurance athlete and now calling yourself an endurance athlete. That's <laughs> so awesome. hold on. <laughs> Let me ask your opinion on this, because you I just I listed a fraction of what you are, what you've accomplished. And I've I've just started to dip my toes into this endurance athletics world. What's your opinion on that? Should folks not be calling themselves an endurance athlete until they get to X place? Is it an overused term uh, or is it like, hey, the more the merrier. Welcome to the fold. And if you've done one marathon or 100 um, you know, you've, you've earned that title. Where do you stand on that? You know, I love this question and we'll take it back a step to, you know, people who are like, oh, they don't even want to call themselves an athlete. They're like, yeah. I, I'm not an athlete at all. I shouldn't do this race or I don't deserve good gear. I'm not an athlete. So even before we say endurance athlete, I, you know, I am all about everyone calling themselves and operating 
and making choices and living their life like an athlete, because that truly is the key to high performance in anything is being an athlete and an athletic lifestyle. And then if you, so call yourself an athlete. If you're somebody who cares about your health and your wellness and how your body feels, you are an athlete. And if you take steps towards improving that, you are an athlete. So if you're an endurance athlete, if we go down to that moniker, I would say, if you've gotten past, if you start to, you know, gotten past the point of comfort where, mm. you know, you're going on a walk, you're walking your dogs, that's maybe not an endurance athlete, Probably but not, you right. get to the point of, and I know you talk about walking towards pain. You get mm. to the point where you kind of don't want to be doing it anymore, but you keep doing it. Then you are an endurance athlete. And that's wow. a very simple definition. And that point of walking towards the pain or doing something further, longer, harder than you kind of wanted to do. Um, that's really where the magic happens. And I know you and I share, uh, that same belief. Yeah. I appreciate you, uh, you sharing your perspective on that. I just I have to go back for one second. Do you get, do you get a little, you talked about like people not calling themselves athletes and it sounds like you really own that for yourself and you want people to step into that space where they own that for themselves. But do you get a little cringy when you get an introduction like the one I gave? Are you like a little bit like, stop talking about me, let's just get to the stuff? Or have you found a way at this point to be comfortable with everything that you've accomplished? Yeah, you know, there was a real turning point for me where, you know, uh, you know, it was probably after I, I did the ride Blood Road around 2013, um, where it's, I started actually accepting and owning my achievements. It's like, wow. no one could take the world championships away. No one could take the wins away. And it was really that when I started to realize I'm about more than those things. I mean, that's my resume. I've done them. I'm really proud of them. But once I started to realize, you know, with launching the foundation, doing more for other people, then it didn't get uncomfortable because it was like, Hey, this isn't really about me all those accolades, all those cool things, they're springboards for me to actually help other people. So once I made that shift, thanks to my dad and that, and that big adventure, then I started being like, yeah, I did those things and here's how it can help you. And so I think that's important that it doesn't feel braggy. It's like the honest truth and I'm really proud of them, but I don't want to be proud of them just for my achievements and my resume. And I think that's the difference with really high achievers they don't need to talk about themselves anymore. They yeah. they use it as a launch pad to inspire their people. But then it's actually well, like, what can we all do with this knowledge or these accolades or whatever I've learned? How can I pass it to you? And I know that, you know, you you do a lot of that in the workplace culture. It's like what you've learned, you pass along. Yeah. And so I don't, I love hearing the resume now because I own <laughs> it and I know that it actually is about more than me. And I think that's a really important distinction. Yeah, it's, I love the point. One of my mentors talks about chess beaters. He says, no chess beaters here. And and that's not what we're talking about. You're, you're, you're at a place where your resume opens doors. Your resume allows you to, pro, to, to serve others. Your resume allows it, it's instant credibility when you step into a space um, but it's not you saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. And I think that uh, for so many of us, we have that point. Uh, I've been accused by um, our CSO at at, uh, at my other company, Skyrocket, of, of getting soft over the last couple of years. And he says it jokingly, but really, Rebecca, it's that uh, in a different in a different way, like I don't feel like I need to beat my chest anymore about the work that we do or what we've accomplished. It's just about 
how do we serve our partners? And in fact, every year we have a new, uh, what we call a thematic mindset. And for this year, it's unstoppable service. And it's all about like, what. And, and we're meeting with the team this week and we're all going to talk about how are we providing unstoppable service for our partners? No chest beating, no look at us. Uh, but um, but if our resume helps us get get you bought in, great. And 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 uh, and and I love it. You know, Rebecca, you you mentioned your your dad, and this really is the the heart of this story. Blood Road. You know, I am I was I was blown away when I heard about this. I was blown away. When I watched it, can you tell people who have no idea what Blood Road is, what it is, and and why for you it is? Yeah. Um. So Blood Road is a film that I made. Um. But really, it's a an expedition that I did down the Ho Chi Minh Trail in 2015, a little while ago now. Um. And it was the biggest, most important ride event of my entire life. Um, and really, you know, decades of being an endurance athlete and navigation and, you know, wandering through the wilderness and developing that skill set, I decided I wanted to try to piece together the entire length of the Ho Chi Minh Trail, um, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia. And for uh, just to provide a little historical context, the Ho Chi Minh Trail was was um, basically a supply, a route used kind of through the jungle, you know, it changed all the time and it was a supply route for the North Vietnamese to bring troops and ammunition to the South during the Vietnam American conflict. And my dad was a fighter pilot there. Um, during the war, he was shot down in 72 when I was three years old. And, um, we, you know, we had the map coordinates, we had the information and it was really my curiosity of the explorer in me is could I use my skill set to do a really cool expedition that no one had done before, but also to go to the place and where he crashed to connect with my dad to really kind of, um, kind of get to know him in some ways. And, yeah. and the film, we were a month on the trail, um, you know, in the jungle. I rode with a Vietnamese woman cyclist because I really wanted to learn about the country and the culture and what the war was like. And I mean, it was basically like my own sort of, uh, you know, trip through history, but also the current events of the place and, and a 1200 mile ride at the same time. And, and so it was like the best expedition of my life, but also hugely emotional, um, obviously really educational. And, and people, people often say, and I did find the place where, where my dad died and, and his co-pilot Carter Howell and, you know, got to meet the son of the village chief who was present that day in 72 and wow. hear the story through him of how his father buried my father. And, you know, I sat there with Mr. Ayer, his son, and, and you know, he and I are basically brother and sister through this event, speaking different mm. languages. He lives in a hut with no running water in the middle of the jungle of Laos, and yet we were completely bonded as humans. And I've been back multiple times, and, you know, really that trip um, and the, the documentary, you know, we told the story of forgiveness of the war. And ultimately the thing I discovered was the unexploded ordnance that are still there. So yeah. a war that ended 50 years ago is still killing people. And I had no idea. And I really feel like my dad brought me there to show me that. And he had signed his letters home and he'd expressed remorse in his letters about, you know, the war and not understanding why it had to be done. And he signed all his letters off with the words, be good. 
And yeah. when I, when I did that ride, it became really apparent to me that all this, you know, decades of endurance career, what was I actually searching for? What did it all mean? Um, and it brought a real purpose to, to my riding and, you know, the world championships and all the exploration I've done. And the purpose was to launch a foundation in his name, the Be Good Foundation, to, like we already talked about, use all my experience to as a launch pad to help other people um, really mobilize through the bicycle. And that's whether it's getting kids on bikes, it's bikes for, you know, school kids in Africa, it's um, trail work, it's, you know, it's adults finding bikes for PTSD and recovery mm. from, you know, trauma. And so it's really about um, providing, you know, movement and mobility and, and healing and empowerment through the bicycle. So that ride was the most important ride of my life because it really, you know, my dad basically told me, hey, this is what you're going to do with your career and this is what it all means. And so that was 2015 the film came out in 2017 and it really has changed the trajectory like i'm still doing expeditions and all this cool stuff but with with the whole um motivation of that it's not really about me standing on more podiums and more mountaintops even though i'm gonna keep doing that um <laughs> it's kind of about bringing other people along up their mountain and their podium yeah wow uh, there's so much to unpack in that in that story um just uh I, I i've got to, you know i have a i have a young daughter and um you know she's twice the age that you uh that you were when your dad passed but i i think about like what what messages she would be we be left with if if god forbid um i i were gone and this idea of like be good um it's just it's moving i don't know if you you all could see at home and i i am I am I am a softy despite the 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 look, but um I, I have tears, tears in my eyes because it's just really, really moving. Did you um talk about like closure? Was there closure around your relationship with your dad or around him? I know that you know it wasn't it wasn't clear for a while whether he was still alive or whether he'd been captured. Does that um Yeah, you know, it took I think I, I can't remember the exact date, but it took 20 something years for them yeah. to actually identify his remains yeah. um and and you know confirm that he and and Carter Howell died that day so it you know we grew up we were well into adulthood um when we learned that he did die and so yeah there were a lot of questions growing up my sister who is a recently retired two two-star general in the air force yeah. she was actually she comes from periodontist and dental background she was actually able to be the one to identify his teeth. That's where they finally identified him um, and identified that they were in fact his remains. And, you know, people, I'm glad you brought up the word closure because people, you know, always say, oh, you went to the crash site, you know, you had closure. Of course he had a ceremony at all Arlington. It must've been closure. And honestly, it wasn't, there were so many questions I had. And when I, when I finally went to Laos and Vietnam, um, it was a huge opening for me because mm. I got to get to know my dad. Mm. I got to meet people who served with him. I finally talked to my mom and my sister about the experience. I got to really explore, you know, um, the history of the war and meet people there who remembered who were there. And so, and honestly, I feel like I hear my dad's voice 
so strongly now mm. um, and his mission and what he was about. And, you know, I've, I've made friends with some of some of his peer group who we keep in touch all the time now. And, you know, one of his best friends that, you know, are, are father figures for me. And so mm. I actually feel like it was really quite a gift to go there and an opening, if anything else. And, you know, what I know about grief and trauma is that if we buried inside, which was very typical of that Vietnam War era, yeah. whatever we bury inside, it's going to come out one way or another, um, mm -hmm. whether it's going to come out in abuse or, you know, addiction or whatever else. And I, I can, so doing that journey and letting that all come out and even then telling the story, showing the film, talking to veterans, like it's been a very healing process for me. And it's helped me realize when people ask me, you know, all this endurance stuff, you know, what are you searching for? Why are you doing all this stuff? I kind of, I realize now that that was searching for, you know, a hole that I was trying to fill and, and yeah. maybe some of the endurance sports became my way of coping. Absolutely. Of being in nature. And so my shift in my sport now has become more joyous and more adventurous and more curious than, you know, do I really need to go, you know, suffer and torture myself. So it's, that's taken a shape in my sport as well too. And, and so, yeah, opening that wound, what I like to say is it's, it's almost like a bone, a break that never healed right. And we had to mm. break it again and align it and strengthen it. And now you know, I feel like my dad's really part of me and we have a relationship in some way. It's actually really cool. Wow. Wow. It's so moving. I mean, the show is called The Inspiration Accelerator for a reason. And that's a really inspiring way to think about, um, you know, your relationship with your dad and then and, and your work on the on the on, on Blood Road and obviously well, right on Ho Chi Minh Trail people yeah. to take those. I mean, and the whole point of me telling my story is that again, grief and trauma doesn't heal itself. It has to be looked at. It has to be talked about. It has to be opened up. And yeah. that process was really hard, you know, 50 years later. <laughs> but ultimately, um, the grief and the trauma will find a way to heal once you sort of poke around and start looking at it. So if anyone is, we're all going to go through something. Sure. And so, so that's opening that up and, and being vulnerable and talking about what's going on um, or going for a long run to think about it. Um, those are all ways, really, really great ways to sort of move through um, basically from grief to gratitude. You know, it's, mm -hmm. I'm not glad that my dad was shot down that day, but what a gift to like really explore what happened and to get to know his friends and, you know, to get to know other veterans through this. Um, and so I am grateful for the experience. Wow. Uh, so, so many things I want to go to. I just, um, yeah, that the idea of the grief needing uh, that, that analogy of the bone that was broken, that never healed right, that needed to be rebroken. That's really like sticking with me because that, you know, you, to your point, we've all, we've all, um, we've all experienced that. Uh, we've all experienced grief and, um, and uh, you're making me reflect on some of my own grief and whether or not I've actually, <laughs> I've dealt with it in the best way possible. Yeah. You talked about this kind of shift from, you know, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but like my endurance sports are, are like punishing me and I'm suffering to like, I'm empowering others. And this is, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm supporting others that th through, you know, bicycles and 
um, and and uh, and other things. What the talk about some of the some of the events? The, you know, the I, I heard you talk about the Iditarod with mm-hmm. with Rich and and tell folks what that is and what that experience was like because uh, I heard about that and I was like. I mean, there's like endurance athletes and then there's like that. And I was like, oh, my, oh, my goodness. Um, and, and most folks think of the Iditarod as the as the dogs. But this yeah. is not that. If you could tell folks about that, that'd be amazing. Yeah, the historic Iditarod trail, everybody kind of knows that. And it's a really famous uh, dog sled or, you know, dog mushing race, um, which is a whole nother feat in itself. But they also have a human powered event that is you can bike ski or run it and it's in the winter on the same trail it goes a week before the dogs all come through um and it's in the middle of alaska very remote alaska in the winter and i've done the bike version of that three times now um and just to give you context, it's, you know, mostly self-supported. You you basically have a hotel on wheels. So you're, you've got a minus 40 sleeping bag with you. You've got food. Um, you get a couple remote food drops that are like dropped by helicopter weeks in advance or by plane. Um, so you get a couple little resupplies of food that are laying there frozen in the snow for you to get to. <laughs> um, but otherwise you're carrying everything with you for survival, um, you know, no, and no one's coming to get you. So it's, it's self-supported. There's a few little shelters and lodges along the way, but really you're, you're living outside in the winter in Alaska while moving on a bicycle day, night, the clock never stops. You sleep wherever you want to sleep on the trail in the middle of the snow temps are, you know, minus 40 is pretty common. Um, zero degrees would be a warm day in Alaska. Um, and yeah, you can't, and so we, Rebecca, interrupt you for a second. You can't, yeah. you can't sweat, right? This is like a, a, a thing you can't sweat or you, it'll freeze. I mean, this is. Yeah. So the elements out there, this is what makes it really hard. I mean, the distance I've done, which is the short course is 350 miles. So it's not mm-hmm. that long. Um, but what the conditions are, what make it really hard. So if you think about, you know, your freezer or any cold temperatures, um, anything that's moisture is going to freeze. So if you sweat, it's going to freeze. Um, your food is all going to be frozen. So you need to bring food that is palatable when it's frozen. Um, you know, your water is going to freeze. So it needs to be next to your body on a vest. You know, your only heat source is basically your body. And so the management of being able to eat, to go to the bathroom, to eat food, um, basically life support stuff becomes exponentially harder. Even to take your gloves off to open a package of something, you know, to put it in your mouth. Um, all those things are, are quite committing. And to be honest with you, I I'm terrified of the cold. Um, it's, it's always been one of my biggest fears and I really only went to winter bike expeditions. I've shied away from winter stuff because I'm not really, I have some lung issues. I have bad circulation. And I was like, no, 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 my body is not suited for that. But I actually went at a friend's prompting because I realized after Blood Road, um, I hadn't done anything in quite some time that really scared me. Mm. I hadn't done anything really committing. And to your point, it felt like I was getting soft, but not in a good way. (laughs) Um, I felt like, wow, am I just done? You know, and I realized I looked back at some of my other expeditions and, you know, some of my like really monumental events for me and i realized they were all scary and i hadn't Mm. scared myself in a while because i'm 
super experienced. I can now I can do all this stuff. And so I went to the place that scared me the most, which was to go into the cold by myself in Alaska. Um, and it really made me rise to the occasion because you can't go there unfit. You can't go there unprepared. You can't mm. go there, um, you know, without your shit together because yeah. the consequence is so high. The consequence of failure is literally death. Yeah. And so I needed to kind of push myself in that way again. And, you know, we talked about my nickname queen of pain and why <laughs> I do these hard things. And it's not to make myself suffer. And because I enjoy being uncomfortable, it's actually, you know, people call it the pain cave, but I really like to call these things a pain portal, mm. a pain tunnel. Because on the other side of that, and we can all reflect on the super hard things we've done, whether it's having a baby or moving or starting a new job, on the other side of something really freaking hard, you look back and you're like, whoa, I did that. Like you're yeah. a different person. And I yeah. needed to go to Alaska really to kind of go back through that pain portal again and kind of teach myself some of my own lessons again. And so I've been back three times um, and it's, it's really pushed me and it's opened a whole nother avenue of, of adventures and expeditions for me and something new that I hadn't done. And that goes kind of to the beginner's mindset of, you know, we become expert at something and all of a sudden it's a little easy. It's a little boring. Yeah. You know, you've, you've changed sports a couple of times and yeah. you're finding new challenges with running. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, well. I mean, first of all, you're totally. I mean, this story is just absolutely incredible, and the fact that you did it three times, as scary as it was, you did it three times is uh, is amazing. Well, I did uh, it badly the first time. Yeah. So I had to go back and be like, okay, like all my food was frozen. I was a mess. I couldn't sleep outside. I like didn't sleep, and you know, I was a mess. I basically was crying, blubbering mess at the finish yeah. line. And technically, I had won the women's you know, category, but I was like, that was a mess. I can do way better, like immediately. Yeah. And so I went back a second time and, um, and actually that second time I went, I was on the start line. I'm like, I'm going to win this event overall. I was so prepared. And I'm like, I'm going to beat everyone and super confident, not nervous. And 30 minutes in, um, I made a navigational error because mm. you're navigating wherever, you, you know, you can get to from point A to B, however you like. And, and I took a trail that I thought was going to be faster. It wasn't 30 minutes in. I basically had a really costly mistake. It cost me about six or seven hours of pushing wow. my bike through the night. And I was out of contention right away. Wow. Um, but what happened is I paired up with my husband and we did the rest. He, I found him along the trail sleeping and we did the rest of that event together. And that was so rewarding that we went back a second time, another time together and, and did it together. But this time fully self-supported, not going into the lodges. So each time I was like, I can do better. And that second time I was all cocky, like I'm going to win this thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got smacked down and, yeah. And the lesson from that was like, I, I, you know, I walked through the night by myself. No one else was around me and I survived and ended up having a really powerful experience. So each time has been a really cool learning experience for me um, in a really committing environment. Most people I know uh, when something goes really badly like that, or they get hurt or they get really scared avoid that thing 
uh, and I've experienced this in my own life at different points. Um, you you do the opposite. What what is that? What is that? Where does that come from for you? Well, I think where that comes from is, you know, I've quit one race in my life and it was in high school, high school cross country running. I still mm. remember it. Mm. Um, you know, I just stepped off the course cause I wasn't doing well. It was our, um, regional, uh, championships that was qualifying us for state. And I was typically like the best runner on our team. And I wasn't running that well that day. And I was like behind a whole bunch of people. So I just stepped off the course and quit and basically jeopardized my whole team's chance to go to state. And luckily our fifth place runner, she had the run of her life and, um, and we still qualified for state. And I still remember the shame of my coach, my mom, my teammates being like, what happened? Are you okay? And I had no good answer. And I was so embarrassed and ashamed to tell them why I quit that that was a really powerful lesson for me as a young high school student. And so for me, um, not quitting and pushing through, it's a couple of things. One, it's, it's accountability and not, and, and wanting to like be a bit of a perfectionist, maybe prove myself, you know, um, some of that stuff, but it's also, um, now more in that I'm more experienced, I know on the other side of pushing through, whether you're winning, losing, it's cold, it's dark, whatever. I know there's something really cool on the other side of pushing through. And I've yeah. never been ashamed and embarrassed of a finish, even if I'm last place yeah. or anything like that, or the cutoff has passed or, or I'm not successful getting to the top of the mountain, but I, I turned around because of weather. I've never been ashamed of something like that but um quitting for no reason yeah that that's pretty motivating for me but also knowing really the outdoor landscape is my it's my university it's where i learn it's that's where i go to go to school and i want to always be a student for the rest of my life yeah yeah i love that um and and it's funny because when i'm reflecting back on uh, you know, my experience is a fraction of yours, but reflecting back on the marathon I ran last year and feeling like by the end of it, that the race really got the better of me uh, and saying the second I finished, I'm going to run this again next year. And I'm going to, I'm going to have the, I'm going to have my sneakers for more than two weeks in advance. And I'm going to, I'm going to train for longer than I did. And I'm going to, you know, I, I, I was the gel packs that everybody else was throwing on the ground. I'm like, no, I don't want to be a litterer. I'm going to put them back in my pocket. And now the insides of my pockets are caked with sludge from like the like fruit berry sludge. And it's all over my fingers. And I'm just like, I'm doing this. I'm going to do this again. I'm going yeah. to do it much better than I did the last time. And, um, uh, um, you know, and a lot to your point, you know, lots of people are like, Oh, do you want to, did you want to quit when you're out there? I was like, like, there was no chance I was going to quit. Like there was yeah. just not, it wasn't, it wasn't on the table. So um, it's, it's such I think a different if your feeling. body wants to quit, but your mind is like, Oh, what's that going to be like when I have to tell, but I think this is, what you're describing is so awesome because there is no better template for us to learn perseverance, leadership, resilience, failure, teamwork, all of our life skills. Um, we can learn and practice in a sports playing field. And mm. so that we're ready for the grief or the challenge or the really hard thing that's going to come to all of us in life. Yeah. And so it's why I, I want everyone to be an athlete because 
honestly, that's where you learn life skills is out there running and suffering and sweating and still going. And other people running alongside you are like, you got this man. And you're yeah. like, you'll never see them again in your life. Right. Right. But it's such a great template for us to be better performing humans. And I don't know why everybody doesn't do sport. I mean, that's part of my mission is get everybody outside moving yeah. because I do believe that's where you learn leadership. That's where you learn all everything. That's how you learn how to be, a good human is yeah. is out there, you know, in nature on the trail. One of my uh, one of my coaches says uh, it's going to hurt regardless. Um, so uh, you can it can hurt and you can finish, or it can hurt it can hurt and you can quit. Like you got to decide which one uh, you you want you want to go with. Um, I have a I, I I didn't plan to ask you this, but it's something I'm I'm just thinking about. What's what's the response of the people in your life? And I imagine they've gotten used to you doing <laughs> these things. But beyond the like, why would you do this? Or you're crazy, which I'm sure you've heard at different points. Have folks in your life seen what you've accomplished and um, started to emulate it? Uh, maybe not uh, an Iditarod, but uh, a shorter bike race or a, a run as this permeated through your through your social group or have folks mostly stayed away from from what you do <laughs> <laughs> no it's actually early on when you know uh, it was a little endurance sports are you know they're kind of in the world right now and yeah. extreme sports and all that stuff you know but yeah when i was you know rock climbing and i i quit my job to go live in my car and go rock climbing my mom <laughs> was kind of like Wait, what are you doing? You have a college degree. You had a really good job. Like, uh -huh. what's the deal here? Um, but they've seen, you know, basically I, I became an entrepreneur and turned sport into a career. So they've seen that, like, okay, she's making it work. But um, there is this really cool kind of ripple effect with my nieces getting involved in going out in nature. And my sister is, you know, now involved in sport. and. Tons of, I mean, tons of dads who were like, yeah, my daughter read your book and, you know, she joined the cross country running team. And so for me, like that's bigger than any world championship or podium win is that if, if what I do gets other people out moving, like, like that's such a win. It makes me so happy. And so, yeah, people say I'm crazy and they, they look at Iditarod, but then they're like, oh, but maybe I can try something smaller and work up to it. And honestly, that's how it works. Someone tries a 5k and then they try 10k and then they try, you know, a little more and a little more and a little more, um, which is pretty cool. It's kind of how we designed the bike event that I do Rebecca's private Idaho. We've got everything from a 20 miler to a four day stage race. And so people start with the 20 and then they go to the 50 and then they go to the hundred. Um, and I, I think that's, a really good, you know, as we encourage people, like you can hear stories like mine and think, oh, that's amazing. Or watch a film about somebody climbing Everest. But the whole point is that Everest starts with, you know, any mountain, the first step, you know, that yeah. baby, that baby steps for people is totally legit. It's totally great. You know, it's like, I know you talk a lot about, um, like walking toward the pain and we talk about doing hard things, but I also want to iterate to people that, it really is quite simple. And a five minute run 
is going to give you health benefit, emotional mm. and physical health benefit. And then mm. a 10 minute and then a 20 minute. I think we're always in this world and me too of like, oh, if I'm not doing this big, great thing, I might as well not do it at all. Um, and so I really try to temper my stories with telling people like, just take a small bite, you know, <laughs> just, just take a little nibble. Um, and what's really cool, what happens is the neurochemicals in your brain. And I, I call this my 20 minute rule. Um, at 20 minute after 20 minutes of exercise, you release neurochemicals, basically free, happy drugs in your body that make you feel good. And yeah. so whenever I want to quit or I don't feel like doing a workout or it's raining, I'm like, okay, I got a 20 minute rule. And I'm going to go out for 20 minutes. And then if I, if my body still wants to quit, like I'm injured or I really need a rest day, I'll listen to my body. But typically it's usually your mind that wants to quit. So I give myself that 20 minute rule. And that's why he told me, we'll go out for 20 minutes and then take stock, then decide um, because that's where your brain chemicals kick in and all the good stuff starts happening. I was going to ask you about that. Uh, like, how do you, I was going to ask you how you gear yourself up, not for a, a big race or a big event, uh, or even just something personal that you're trying to accomplish independent of medals and, you know, starting, you know, starting corrals and things like that. How do you gear yourself up for a, a 50 mile ride or a 100 mile training ride when, when you don't feel like doing it? Is it what you described? Is it, I'm going to give myself 20 minutes or is it, more like today because i personally i struggle with the like i've got to run i've got to run 15 miles today and um if i'm not in the mood for it uh and i and i agree i agree with you so much for me it's like i i i power through the first mile and that tells me a lot about what the rest yeah. of this is going to feel like but is there are there things that you tell yourself or self-talk um yeah. any sort of you know i i know that you, I, I heard you say you know you'll you do this like almost like detached focus thing, mm -hmm. um, which uh, I thought was a really interesting way to think about it when you're out there. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So this is a concept. And I, I'll, so I'll just break down some fallacies. First of all, is that people think professional athletes or accomplished athletes are always motivated. It's yeah. not true. You Good. know that <laughs> it's just not true. Motivation is not this thing that like you learn and now you have it. Yeah. It's this sort of, amoeba like um thing that is it's something that everyone works on you know from the most elite athlete down to you know a young a young person and so i i have this concept i call the motivational menu and you you know you imagine like the biggest giant giant buffet in las vegas or whatever that's got like a million things and sometimes you want to come up and serve yourself tater tots sometimes you feel like having a salad sometimes you just want to eat the peach cobbler and so it's really important as you grow as an athlete to build a really large motivational menu and depending on the day you're going to slop different things on that plate wow. and the Basically, the, the menu items are things you've learned about yourself. And we all have intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Um, intrinsic are things like it makes me feel good. Um, my kids will be proud of me, you know, stuff like that. Um, uh, extrinsic are like, oh, I love checking off that box that I did my workout for the day. Yeah. Or um, I love telling my friends on Instagram that I did this cool thing. Um, so there's a lot of items for the motivational menu. For me, um, things like accountability, like having a coach, a training program, you know, some a plan laid out so that 
even if I don't feel like it, I'm like, well, this is on the plan. I better do it. <laughs> um, and then also having um, pre-planning, like I'm going to do this route and like looking at a cool map and having the plan ahead of time instead of saying, oh, I got to run 15 miles today. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? So you do some pre-planning. Um, people, other people are always motivational. <laughs> you know, if yeah. you've got accountability of like, we're meeting at eight o'clock, we're going to start and we're going to do this run. Um, and so for people that are like, I'm not motivated, well, start pulling out extrinsic motivators and you'll, and start to identify, we all have some intrinsic motivators. We people be like, I'm not motivated. It's like, well, you want to make your kids proud. You want to feel good when you wake up and you want to sleep better at night. You want to like, live till all, uh, you know, ripe live. old age. <laughs> yeah. You want to have great, you know, life quality of life and, you yeah. know, well into whatever age. So those are all intrinsic motivators. So if you're not sure that you have some, start writing some of that stuff down of like, why do I exercise? You know, it, it, it's not really a win a medal. It's for a lot of other things. And then the social aspect is the most powerful extrinsic one um, that you can get to is, is join a club, get a bunch of people to go walk with your neighbors, um, sign up for an event. As you know, that's a really big accountability factor. And tell everybody, so you tell everybody, tell everybody you signed up for an it. event. Put it on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. 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 The the thing you're saying that the the after you've completed something, this message that you've sent to yourself that I can do these things. I mean, did, did, did you're using these things in your regular everyday life, right? You've you've a, a challenge comes up at work and it's like, hey, I slept outside in sub-zero Alaska, which by the way, has wolves and lots of like, I like, I can handle this challenge at work and folks don't have to do the, to, they don't have to go as extreme as you've gone, but, but just to wake up and run a mile before work and then be like, look around the boardroom or whatever it is and be like, I bet nobody else in here did that today. I've mm -hmm. got an advantage. I mean, that's part of this, right? It's so powerful. And yeah, if everyone treated their body like an athlete body, you are going to go into your boardroom more confident. You're going to stand a little taller. You're going to be able to pick up your kids, you know? Um, and I do, it's, it's kind of where I'm going with, with what I call wilderness wisdom is all the stuff I've learned on the trail. I use it in my everyday life. And when I'm faltering, I'm sort of like, okay, I'm going to do some breathing exercises. I'm going to, you know, you know, use some of my, my tools from the trail, but also, yeah, taking those to the boardroom, taking those to parents, taking those to people in their relationships of learning some calm. If you're in a frustrating situation, maybe with your, your spouse or partner <laughs> being like, okay, I remember that time I was really pissed off in Alaska where I was lost and I was mad at myself and like, what am I going to do about it? you know? Um, so yeah, these, all these things really, people think like, why do sports doesn't really matter. And I'll go back to, this is our training ground for life. It's where we learn the skills to be better humans, high performing humans. We learn that outside by pushing our physical body. And what comes with that is then your cognitive body, your, your emotional body, all those other things are getting stronger at the same time. Brilliant. The perfect perfect ending to what was an incredible interview. Rebecca, where can folks 
find out more about the Be Good Foundation or Rebecca's Private Idaho or Blood Row? Or they just go to your website or is there uh, somewhere else you want to send folks even on social media? Yeah, the easiest portal, my website and social media are just my name, Rebecca, and the last name is R-U-S-C-H. And that'll direct you to the film and, you know, all, all that other stuff, the ride, anything else you want to find me for. Cool. And we'll include all your social media and uh, website info when we, uh, when we, when this goes live um, shortly. So uh, I just can't thank you enough for coming on here and sharing your wisdom and your experience and your humility and uh, really your mission to, to get, to get folks out and about and, and treating their bodies like an athlete's body and taking those lessons from out there and bringing it to all other aspects of their lives. I know I'm uh, super inspired. I imagine our listeners are as well. So thank you, Rebecca, so much. It was great having you on. So fun. And I love to end all my conversations with an invitation to you for us to go on a run or a hike or a bike for our next meeting. I, I, I 100% accept that invite. Okay. I am, at, I will have trouble keeping up with you, but I will be there. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's do it. That would be amazing. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Be good. All right, folks. Uh, we'll see you next time on the inspiration accelerator. Thank you, Rebecca. And, um, wow, I'm blown away. We'll see y'all in a week. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode. Please look out for a new episode with a new guest every week. This was the Inspiration Accelerator with Michael Sonberg.